Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Today we're beginning a new series for our Sunday mornings together in the book of Daniel called God Strong. So over the course of the spring and the summer, we're going to make our way through the 12 chapters of this, of this book and seek to become God strong in our faith in the times that we are living in. So what exactly does that mean? I was uh, a little disappointed but not surprised to find out that I did not invent the word God Strong. Um, you know, I, I didn't really find it anywhere. It, you know, I thought of it. Uh, but, you know, you can get a T-shirt out there that has God Strong on it. Uh, you, can, you can go to Amazon and you can shop God Strong. And you can get a necklace. You can get a, a wristband. You can get the album God Strong by Saints and Soldiers. I mean, it's out there. And it, as far as I can tell, there, there's no trademark on the name. So it's, you know, being used by a lot of different people for a lot of different things. Um, what is what is it going to mean for us here at Living Streams over the next few months? Well, the book of Daniel, it's one of those books in the Bible that, um, you know, has some very familiar Bible stories in it. If you grew up in church, you heard these, uh, the fiery furnace, Daniel in the, in the lion's den, the handwriting on the wall, you know. And so all of those stories are in the first half of the book of Daniel. And then the second half, God gives Daniel some very challenging dreams and visions about, you know, life and, um, and history. And so it's really easy to get lost in that prophetic prose, trying to figure out what the message is and, you know, how it connects to, to our day and age. And so the first half of this book, Maybe some of the most read scriptures, and the last half maybe some of the least read. Um, so here we're going to lean into the Holy Spirit, and we're going to try and work our way through all the the chapters. We'll try to read every word on Sunday morning, um, and see what we can do to uh, grow in being God strong. So I've broken this series up into three five week sessions uh, segments. Um, mostly because of some time off for our family, so I'll be t- telling you about that uh, a little bit later on. So there's kind of five-week chunks, and we're starting the first of the five of the three five weeks. So Daniel, who was this guy? Well, uh, we'll get into a bit more of that next week, but he was kind of just an ordinary guy. He was kind of just like um, a lot of us, but he was living in a time that was really difficult to be a faithful follower of God. His faith is tested through this, through this book. It's tested by adversity and it's tested by prosperity. Um, through all of that, he remained strong in the Lord. He remained strong in his prayer closet and in the public square. So Daniel's a great example. Now think about his world, a um, little bit about it. Uh, in his world, there was no presence of the community of believers. 
So aside from just a few friends that he had, he was living among foreign people in a pagan nation, among pagan people who followed after other gods. He lived in the kingdom of Babylon, and he served there. Well, Babylon can serve as a representative of all pagan kingdoms for us. Um, so a pagan kingdom is that there is no acknowledgement of God or uh, that he, if they do acknowledge him that he's easily dismissed because he's been beaten, he's weaker uh, than the gods that um, others have. So um, that's, that's kind of the, country, the, the setting that he lived in. Daniel was allowed to practice his faith. Um, pagan nations are not unspiritual. They're very spiritual people. Um, so he was even encouraged to practice his faith. But uh, he had to keep that faith private and personal. He wasn't allowed to, to take it out into the public. He wasn't supposed to have any influence toward, back toward his God. Um, that could have meant prison time or it could have meant the end of his life. Now, Daniel, he was a prisoner of war. He was a servant of the kings of Babylon. He had no power. And from all appearances, neither did his God. And so through all that, he remained resolute in his faith, faithful in his worship, living a godly life in an ungodly world. Daniel was God strong. Now, we live in a very similar kind of world. And we definitely enjoy the presence of the church, um, buildings in a lot of places. Steeples are up. Praying one day we'll have a steeple. Um, you know, but you know what, what happens is, um, because we, um, don't make a, a deep commitment to the church or we don't participate it in, we don't really benefit from the, the fellowship of believers like God intended us to benefit. You know, our country is now referred to as a post-Christian country. So church attendance is in decline these days. Um, Christians are tolerated in our community if we keep our faith within these walls, if we keep it to ourselves, personal and, and private. We don't try to influence politics or influence our laws or get into our schools or change our workplaces. So long as we don't do any of that, we can exist. <clears throat> as of a couple of years ago, 73% of people in our country, Americans, said they were Christian. 73%. Now that sounds, you know, pretty good. Until you start looking at what it means to be a Christian. If you believe that you must be born again by the Holy Spirit of God to have a relationship with Him and enter God's kingdom... If you believe that the Bible is written by God, it's His Word, has authority over us, and is useful for all of our life. If you believe your faith has some use outside of these walls, that it applies to your whole life. If you believe you have a responsibility to share that faith with other people that don't know Jesus or don't have that faith. If you believe that God is all-powerful, He is all-knowing, He is the creator of the world... That Jesus is the Son of God who lived a sinless life, who died on a cross to take away the sins of man and rose from the grave victoriously bodily to give us hope and eternal life for the future. If you believe those things, you're among the 7% of people in our country who do. 7%. Now we're looking a little bit more like Daniel's world. 
We may have steeples everywhere, but that's our culture. And there's a big difference between culture and Christianity. 7% of the people in our country, I believe, are people that need to be God strong. The rest, there's a good possibility, they need God. So that's the country we live in. Daniel's life, it is going to help us be God strong and become God stronger. <laughs> Another one I made up. That one I actually, you know, that one you may not be able to find on Amazon. God stronger. <laughs> I should trademark it. <laughs> Living a life that is faithful to God no matter the consequences to ourselves. Living a life that is not going to compromise, that is not going to conform to the pattern of this world. Living a life that speaks up when we're told to be quiet, that stands up when we're told to sit down. A life that shines in the darkness, that is full of compassion and oozes love, even for people that don't like us, even for our enemies. The kind of faith that doesn't just survive in difficult times, but it actually thrives in difficult times as our lives bring glory to God and we see him change us and change people around us with the truth of the gospel. So, we're going to get started with the first two verses of Daniel chapter 1. Just going to get two verses, and you're thinking, how are we going to get through the 12 chapters? And we'll, trust me, we'll, we'll, we'll get through it. But let's start with these two verses in our pursuit of becoming God strong. <clears throat> in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we want to just thank you for the book of Daniel. We thank you for the lessons that are ahead of us that will you know, help us uh, walk in the world that we live in. And we do want to ask, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to, um, to open our eyes and our ears and, and our hearts to the truths that um, we need to be able to stand on uh, to live a life that shines your light to the world. Um, we thank you for your help. We thank you that there's nothing... Uh, that we'll learn that you aren't going to be there for us to try to accomplish. We don't have to do this in our own strength. This is not about being man-strong, Greg-strong. This is about being God-strong. Do a work in us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're headed uh, into a season for severe weather. Um, About a month to... A month too late for my forecasting abilities. If you were here about a month ago, I promised no more snow. And, you know, that didn't pan out. So, you know. But we've already seen like thunder and we've already seen lightning, um, uh, flash flooding, high winds, hail, tornadoes. All of that, you know, is possible during severe weather season. And really what severe weather season is, is it's just the environment has become conducive to produce storms. So uh, storms like all of that. And just like there's a season for severe weather, there is times in our lives when it is is more difficult for our faith than others. So it's 
more storms come along for us. And there are different kind of storms that we'll go through that give us the opportunity to not only be God strong, but to become God strong. And so we're going to run into these storms here and see Daniel um, live through many of them and stay faithful through adversity and prosperity. And these first two verses reveal just a, a, a few of them. Um, and they have all parallels in our lives. You need to be God strong when you're engaged in, in hostile conflicts. Verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, we are jumping right into the middle of a major event in the history of the nation of Israel. And, you know, um, you might not have been brushed up on your church history or the nation of Israel history, so it may be a little unfamiliar to us. So I'm going to rewind us just a little bit and um, get us to something that, that is familiar and then catch us up to Daniel. So, let's rewind all the way back to 1444, 1446 B.C., and that's when God rescued his people from Egypt um, with Moses leading the way. You can read about that in the book of Exodus, how the rescue operation went. God was keeping a promise to um, Abraham that he made, that um, his name would be great, that he would be given a good land, that his descendants would be like the stars, and that his people would be a blessing to all nations. So after the exodus, um, then after a 40-year walk in the desert because of unbelief, Joshua led the people to take possession of the promised land, which you can read about in the book of Joshua, which took about 25 years. 25 years. And they did a pretty good job, but not a complete job. They didn't get rid of everybody in the promised land. And so over the next 380 years... Things were kind of up and down with God. Sometimes they were faithful. Sometimes they weren't. Um, they were doing everything, whatever was right in their own eyes. And so through that time, God would send judges. You can read about that in the book of Judges. And, and uh, so God, people like Gideon, Samson, Samuel, all these were sent to correct God's people, get them back on course, cause revival. <clears throat> so the people of Israel, they wanted to be like the surrounding nations that had kings. And so they started asking Samuel if, that God would give them a king. And so they crowned Saul king, and then David came along and was king, and then David's son Solomon was king. Now that kingdom operated under the Mosaic Covenant. And that was given to the, the people after the Exodus. And basically the Mosaic Covenant was this. God said, this is how I want you to live. If you do it, You'll be blessed. If you don't do it, you'll be cursed. People looked at the covenant, said, we're in. Sprinkled with blood, whole nine yards. I mean, they were, they were in. It's really, really cool to see that commitment. So for the next 120 years, things again were up and down, but pretty good. And you read about that in first and second Samuel and first Kings chapters one to eleven. And then things get kind of more difficult. In the year 930 BC, um, the, the nation of Israel splits into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, called Israel, made up of ten tribes of Israel. And then the southern kingdom, called Judah, made up of two tribes. So kings were set up over both of those kingdoms. And you can read all about that in the latter half of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles. See, I'm, I'm flying here, so you know, i got to tell you where to go get the detail. So all of the northern king, kingdoms, kingdoms, kings, leaders were bad. All of them. 
And so they had a really difficult time being faithful to God. Um, and they lasted about 210 years till 722 BC when the Assyrians came in and conquered them and took them off into captivity. The southern kingdom of Judah, they fared a little bit better with their leaders. They had some good kings like Josiah. Uh, but again, most of them were bad. And it is their kingdom that is being attacked here in Daniel chapter 1 in 605 BC. Now this attack on Judah and Jerusalem was the first of three attacks over about 15 years. And in the, the last one, 586 BC, that was the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And, and so there's a thousand years or so of history for you to get some historical context. Hopefully it'll help a little bit for what we're about to read in the book of, of Daniel. God, forgive me for skipping a bunch of good stuff. Um, so God's people are living in exile. They're living in these, in these uh, foreign nations uh, amongst pagan people. Have no presence in society, no power in government, no rights to influence people back to faith in God. So they're dangerous times. Dangerous times to be a follower of God. And they're conditions that warrant them to be God strong in their lives. Now, our world, like I said, is similar to Daniel's world. And when we are going to be engaged in the same kinds of hostile conflicts, but in a different way. And the same kind of things that require us to be God strong. Uh, the struggle hasn't gone away, you know, in the modern world from the time uh, that Daniel was alive and uh, following God. It's very real for believers, the struggle is. Very real to live, uh, to struggle to live faithful to God and follow what he says. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So Satan is leading an assault on God's people to this day. Um, even though... He is a defeated foe because of Christ and what Christ did on the cross to rescue us from sin and what Christ did to overcome the grave, rescue us from death. Because of those things, Satan is, a, is defeated. He's lost, but he's not going down without a fight. And so what he wants to do is he wants to take as many people as he possibly can with him. He hates the people of God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have a saving relationship with him, you have an enemy that hates your guts. He hates your family, he hates your marriage, and he hates your kids. Hate in every sense of the word. And he's after you. He has lost your soul to the kingdom of God, but he will be working to slow you down, to trip you up, to make you ineffective and unproductive in the kingdom of God. He's all about that. And just as Jerusalem suffered these repeated attacks from, uh, the, uh, from the other kingdoms, uh, the, the kingdom of Judah, Satan will also conduct repeated attacks on believers. And he will uh, rise up using a var various strategies. Um, he works to um, help you think less of yourself, self-worth. He, he works to encourage doubt and guilt and shame. All of that stuff is from the devil. He loves to stir that up in us because of what it does. It slows us down. 
If you're following Jesus, expect to have hostile conflicts in the spiritual world for the rest of your life. It will happen for the rest of your life. Now, listen, don't expect them to be as brazen as Nebuchadnezzar is in verse 1, besieging Jerusalem. You know, it's a frontal assault, surround the city, storm the gates, that kind of thing. Because Satan, I mean, he'll, he'll do that, but I don't believe he does that very often. Because if you're a, even a young believer, and you spot the roaring lion coming after you who's wanting to devour you, and you know you're absolutely no match for that, and you run to Jesus, that's when you get God strong, and that's when Satan loses. He's no match. He's, he's lost that fight. And so his plans get canceled when we run to Jesus. So, um, you know, when he, we see him coming, we run. But the trouble is, we don't always, we don't always see him coming. You know, he's, he, he, he conducts sneak attacks. He does passive operations that take years. He works on a slow decay of our spiritual passion and our pursuit of holiness and you know, just our, our desire to grow God's kingdom, our dependence on God. He uses pressure from the world to conform God's people to look like the world so that we are rendered mute in society. Make no mistake, the things that we believe are in direct opposition to the things that the world believes. Our worldview is out there, and if you have a worldview, biblical worldview, you're a crazy person. You're crazy. Right, right now, the theory of evolution is the standard theory taught about where everything came from. And it's like the default thinking. If you don't think that, you're just unscientific, you're foolish. The theory of evolution is void of God altogether. And that has major implications about how we view, or people view, human life and the sanctity of life. And we see the, the incredible, horrific practice of abortion being accepted in our country. We hear around the world that more and more we hear about euthanasia. So, you know, when you get on the other end of life and you get, you know, where your health care gets really expensive... Or it's like, why are we keeping this person alive? All these questions, you know, why are we doing that? It doesn't make any sense. In the ledger, it doesn't make any sense for them, their quality of life. Let's boot them out of here. Why won't we do that stuff? Well, theory of evolution gives you no reason not to. Because there's no, there's no God involved. The whole gender debate that's going on is huge in our day and age, uh, in, in recent times. You know, is it how we feel or is it how we're made? See, it, it, it's in direct opposition. The boundaries for sexual activity. You know, how that's set up in our society. What's good for us? Um, how does God want us to live? So I don't believe for a second that what we're seeing in the world isn't Satan working. He is active. He is conducting this hostile attack on people. And it weakens our view of creation. It weakens our view of ourselves. And it weakens freedom for people. And all you have to do is be vocal in your opposing view and watch the fireworks. In fact, just go online and find an article that, you know, is talking about creation and go read the comments and you'll see what I'm talking about. And fireworks. Another thing that's been, been used is the separation of church and state. You know, it, it, that, that law was given way back and when our country was founded and it was intended to keep 
um, the state's influence and power out of the church, not the church influence out of the state. But how has the enemy used that? He's used it to try to get to try to get the church out of uh, out of the world and into our own little world. You know, like we're not allowed to talk about God or teach about God in our schools at all. Or otherwise, ACLU comes calling. Um, we we uh, are not allowed to influence our workplace uh, for Christ, or we'll be branded an evangelism person, and you know either be outcast by the people or fired for your views. Um, get us getting us out of our laws. Um, you know, all, and, and all of this. Every time we see another um, news story, it just stirs up fear in us from the legal repercussions if we stand up and speak up. Legal repercussions that can destroy our life. So the majority of people in our country today, the majority of people, I did some research, it's not just my opinion, they believe that abortion is an acceptable practice. They believe that the gay lifestyle should be mainstream. That it's an okay way to live. The majority of people believe all faiths are basically equal. They're all going to get you to the same place. Just have one and keep it to yourself. The majority of people believe that. If we're going to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ and make an eternal difference in this world that we're living in, we need to be God strong. We need to be God strong. We also need to be God strong when we're living in adverse conditions. The first half of verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. The major theme of the book of Daniel is the sovereignty of God over our world, kingdoms, man, kings, everything. That's the major theme. Not what happens to Daniel and his companions, but God doing as he pleases with the kings of the world in his day. And see here, uh, we see this verse very plainly says that this horrible loss, this adversity that comes uh, upon God's people was due to God himself giving over the people, the city, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And you're like, these are his people. These are people that he loves. These are people that um, his son was going to die for. These are people that he initiated contact with and made promises to. How could God let his people suffer this kind of defeat? How could he do that? Now, any time we suffer under adverse conditions in our lives, there's always going to be some kind of challenge to our faith. Sometimes just little questions that pop in our minds. Sometimes big doubts that pop up in our minds. Does God know what he's doing? Is he really in control? Is he really in charge? How can this be good for me? How can this be good? Anytime adverse conditions come up, you know, is, is God all-powerful? Is, is God all-knowing? Is God everywhere all at the same time? Does God see me? Um, does he love me? Is he good? Does he want my good all the time? When we suffer adverse... Those are the questions that come up. And when those questions come up, that's when we need to be God-strong. That's when it matters. Now, what does it mean that God is sovereign? What does it mean that he's sovereign over all of history, all kingdoms, all of mankind? Now, um, we get our definition from the Bible. So consider these verses. Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. Psalm 115.3. Psalm 46.9 and 10. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. 
I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. Romans 9.18 So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. 1 Chronicles 29.11 and 12 Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So, there is no one bigger. There is no one smarter. There is no one stronger. No one greater. No one higher. No one more wise or loving or good than Yahweh, the great I Am. That's who your God is. That's who He is. Now, in the, in the church, not very many people will dispute that. The problem comes when we start to think about how God takes that sovereignty and applies it into our lives. How involved you know, is He in our lives with His sovereignty, with His power and might? Proverbs 16.9 tells us He's very involved and it brings up a big question. The heart of man plans His way. But the Lord establishes his steps. So how does that work? How does that work where we are given the freedom to make choices and decision and plan, but God's will gets done no matter what, without a problem? How does that work? I don't know. I don't know, but I do know this. It is not too hard for God to do what He wishes and let us have free will to do what we do what we think is right. It's not too hard for Him to figure out that kind of environment. I bring the question up not really to answer it, but to describe another time when we need to be God-strong. If, if God is sovereign, as our Bible tells us He is, then nothing is outside of His control. Either He's doing it or He's letting it happen. Even Satan needs permission to do what He wants to do. God has to let him do it. And so in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah um, was around the time that all this besieging of Jerusalem was going on. And in Lamentations, he wrote this about God after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. In Lamentations 3, 37 and 38, Who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? Does not the Most High send both calamity and good? So when calamity comes our way, so do questions. Maybe small questions, they may be big questions, but we question um, God. Are you doing, you know, what what is good here? We cling to that Romans 8.28 verse, and I know that all things work together for the good of those who love Him or are called according to His purpose, something like that. So it's in those questions we want to be God strong. Then verse 2 it, it ends um, this way. And he brought them, the vessels of God, to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now, what King Nebuchadnezzar is doing there is akin to spiking the football after a victory. All right? He's, he's gloating. He's not just bringing trophies home from his victory. He's bringing vessels of, God's, of God from the, the temple where God is worshipped 
to the temple of his gods, the treasury, and he's setting them up there as a statement saying, I'm bigger than you. I have defeated Yahweh. I have taken out Jehovah, the one, the famous God that the Jewish people worshipped. So another time we want to be God strong is when we're caught up in kingdom competition. When, when man's kingdom, like Nebuchadnezzar's, bumps up against God's kingdom and the two don't mix. Next week we're going to see Daniel get caught up in the competition and we'll see how he was able to be faithful and, and trust God when it didn't look like God was there. When God's kingdom collides with man's kingdom, it, it always brings trouble. How does it happen today? How, how do we see it? Well, you can sure see it in the fight for traditional marriage. If you think about that fight, man's kingdom has made it the law of the land that same-sex marriage it should be okay, legal. It should be accepted. Um, but, you know, man never had the right nor the responsibility to define marriage because God created marriage back in Genesis. It was, it was his idea. It was his idea for creating the world. And so that's how he wanted us to grow as a, as a people, as, as, as societies and families. But man's come along and they said, no, this is how it should be. And so it, be, it brings up an occasion to be God strong um, when uh, we're trying to follow what God has said and live our lives that way. Um, <clears throat> we, what is, what is going to happen when um, we're challenged on that? If we keep it between these four walls... You know, we're probably pretty safe, but um, most likely, eventually, they're going to come into the four walls and they'll challenge it. Um, so uh, what's going to happen when we get challenged? What's going to happen when um, you know, there's a risk of losing friends or um, having trouble with family? Or what's going to happen when there's a risk of us becoming the target of uh, man's punishment and ridicule? What will we do? Are we going to compromise? Do we conform to the majority of what our neighbors think? Or do we stay faithful to God? Do we stay God-strong? Have you ever heard of the name Jack Phillips? Maybe you have. I'm going to, you know, I'm thinking of a particular Jack Phillips. Um, he is a baker, and he is a Christian, and he has a business in Colorado. And he's at the center of a, a case that was just heard at the U.S. Supreme Court um, in December. And in 2012, he refused to make a, a custom wedding cake for a same-sex couple uh, because of his beliefs. And he explained this, that they were asking me to make a cake that would celebrate a view of marriage that goes against the core values of my face view on marriage. And so we offered to sell that couple any other cake in the shop. He offered to make them a custom cake for any other event but none of that satisfied them, and so the legal battle ensued over the last five years. Now, it sounds like the winds might be blowing in, in Mr. Phillips' favor in this case, but he said his business, Masterpiece Cake Shop, was forced to surrender their wedding cake business, which was 40% of their income. They've lost over half of their employees, and they, to this day, still receive harassment and death threats. To this day, five years later. So that's what the competition looks like. And that's what it looks like when we get caught up in it. It's real. And it's not going to go away until Jesus comes back. 
In fact, since 2011, attacks on religious freedom in our country have more than doubled in just the the last seven years. In 2015, there was a high school junior varsity football coach who got fired for praying with his team after a game. He was told not to do it. He did it. He says, free. Free, uh, It's freedom. And so he did it and he got fired. Fighting it in the courts, but so far he's losing. Now, you can find examples like that all over the place about how this is going on in our country, how the kingdoms are clashing, how they're in competition, and there are situations all, all over the place that believers need to be God-strong. Now, it is extremely important the way that we do that, the way that we are God-strong, the way that we don't compromise. Because we have a God to represent we have a witness to the, to the grace and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we want to get across. There, there are people on the other side of the competition who need to hear that message and will respond to that message if we can get it across. So standing up for God doesn't mean stomping out the competition. It doesn't mean winning at all costs. It doesn't mean you can't attend a same-sex wedding. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have gay friends. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't show respect to every other human being that isn't like you or disagrees with you. That's not what God's strong means. Daniel is going to help us. It's going to show us there's ways to be God's strong that we can still have an influence and a a big impact on the people that we live with and the people that we work with and go to school with. People that we love. I have a lot to learn. And I'm so glad that God gave us the book of Daniel to learn how to live godly lives in an ungodly world. I hope you're looking forward to it as much as I am. And I covet your prayers.